how the drug war kicked off and how it was necessary, how it was actually just targeting people of color and Latinos when it came to smaller drug crimes and, and led to this whole prison incarceration system we have where we have people just going in and out almost like a turnstile at this point. What's up, you sick freaks? Welcome to the podcast. Today, we have one of the coolest guests we've had on the podcast so far. He goes by the name Mecca King. See, Mecca King is a really interesting dude because he's an African-American in the cannabis industry. And as he'll explain to you, it's a weird place to be if you're a black dude in an industry where just like five years ago, most of the people around you were just getting lit up for having weed selling weed, smoking weed, whatever it was. So what he's trying to do is advocate for people, for more African-Americans to get into the cannabis industry because as they should, there should be equal opportunity for both. White people, black people, anyone who wants to be in the fucking cannabis industry. He's a rad guy, man. He's filming a documentary. He's going around the country. He might have finished it by now. I'm not exactly sure. But either way, man, he's actually, I think he's down in Atlanta now. But he's a Boston native, so we kind of have the same same background. He grew up a little more in the city than I did, but from the same town. We like the same sports teams. We drive with the same people. Y'all are gonna love Mecca. Before we jump in, shouts to Hemp House Goodies. HempHouseGoodies.com at HempHouseGoodies on Instagram. Go check those motherfuckers out. They got CBD for days. They'll hook you up. Leave them a review. They might give you some free shit. Shouts to Jim's Deli. Y'all already know the deal. I don't even have to say it again. Jim's Deli's the best. Fucking get you nice and fat. You trying to bulk up for the winter? You trying to get that bulk season on, bro? Yeah. Jim's Deli. You trying to you trying to squat, get that booty? Jim's Deli, girl. You just trying to have a nice salad with your mom for lunch between work hours of 12 and 1 p.m.? Jim's Deli. It fits everyone. Without further ado, Mecca King. She was living in a single room with three other individuals. One of them was a male, and the other two, well, the other two were females. God only knows what they were up to in there. And furthermore, Susan, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to learn that all four of them habitually smoke marijuana cigarettes. Reefers. Like I said, I wanted to bring you on and have you just talk about your story, because I think out of all the people I've talked to so far, you have one of, if not the most interesting story. Um, Start as far back as you want to go and give me like the gist of who you were and how you molded that into who you are today. Sure, no problem. Um, my name is Mecca King. Um, I'm a journalist by trade. Um, I, I, I've, I've been a writer all my life, I feel like. Um, I was just mentioning to you that I'm born and raised in Boston. And one of the first chances I had to mm-hmm. actually write a story was for the Dorchester Community News when I was in high school. And I just knew then that that was something I, I really wanted to do. I wanted to be a writer. So um, I went to college at Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, North Carolina. I majored in print journalism. I wrote for the school newspaper down there and also interned for Charlotte Magazine and Charlotte in the Charlotte Post, which is a newspaper down there. Um, but I, my passion when it came to writing was always either sports or hip hop. So I kind of tuned my area of focus into that um, when I got out of school. And this is around two. This was around 2002. So when I, I start, when I started doing that, when I started doing um, 
focusing more on on the hip hop lane, I actually got to the point where I created my own website, which was called Last Word Online. Um, and Last Word Online was a hip hop news and was a hip hop news and interview website that I created on my own. Um, I would just call up and I would set up interviews with various publicists using the internet even then. Like I would just go on and see who was a contact for who and just hopefully reach out and see if they would be open to interviewing. And I did that for about three years. And the best part about that was it was it was able to introduce me to people who really would eventually kind of help me out through my career altogether. You know, so as I was doing this little website in Charlotte, North Carolina, I was having people from New York and L.A. send me down um, whole CDs and send me whole catalogs. I had Koch Records at one point send me their catalog for the year because they were just so appreciative of some, yeah, some of the help I did Damn. for some of their smaller artists. Stuff I wasn't thinking about. You know, I'm just like this kid in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. I feel like interviewing people I just wanted to interview. But eventually it became something that helped me blossom into a, a position with Double XL Magazine, where I was a writer for them, and Slam Magazine, which was a basketball magazine that was, that was under the whole umbrella that Double XL was under. So I was actually able to cover two of my favorite things for about five years. And then I just got bored, you know, like I'm pretty sure like a lot of people do, you just get bored with doing the same thing over and over and over again. So I took a whole break from the whole mm-hmm. just writing all together and I got into nonprofits and I started working with this organization called Work for Progress. And it, it, well, they're based in, in Denver, but they had an office in Atlanta and I helped them with their voter registration initiative in 2015. And we actually got 8000 people registered to vote. And at that time, they actually flew me to Denver to help their office out in Denver because they was having a little bit of trouble closing out their numbers. And when I got out to Denver, this was around the time that Denver had just passed um, legalization for cannabis. So this was all something brand new to me totally because at the same time, I did smoke weed, but it wasn't nothing that I thought was a big deal until I got to Denver. And as I'm out in Denver doing voter registration, I'm just I'm at the bus station one day and I just saw black, white, old, young people just walking by with joints in their hands and smoking. It was the weirdest situation. Like we was actually outside the state capitol and there's a whole line of people outside the state capitol just smoking weed. And I was like, wow, this is insane that people are just doing this. So I get back to I get back to Atlanta. And at that time, I'm still kind of interested in the cannabis, but I wasn't all the way interested yet. It wasn't until I um, I had my friend Royal, who I didn't know at the time either, was was interested in becoming a cannabis chef. Like, I've always known that he was a chef. I didn't know he wanted to dabble in cannabis. So he came over my house one day. He brought me over some brownies and we had a whole conversation. And he was telling me, yeah, I'm about to get into this cannabis industry. And when he said it, I was like, the cannabis industry? Like, what is that? He said, well, you know, it's going legal in Colorado. It might go legal a couple other places. And as he's saying that, it was just wrapping my head, wrapping my head around the fact that, yeah, this is now about to be an industry. You know, that's so crazy to me. So I told him, I said, I said, so what's it like going? He was going to conferences at the time. I said, what's it like going to some of the conferences? He said, well, at right now, it's kind of crazy. He said, you know, I'll show up and I'll be the only black person in the room, which also was a shock to me because me coming up knowing about. I knew I learned cannabis through hip hop. So like even the first time I, I learned how to roll a blunt, listening to Red Man's How to Roll a Blunt. You know, like everything about me was 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 a hip hop pocket. Yeah. So I've always noticed that everybody I knew who smoked yeah. weed was looked like me. Everybody who I saw talk about it looked like me from Red Man to Snoop Dogg. I was like, how is it you have a whole conference and you was the only person there? And he said, I don't know. He said it's just how it was. He said, I've been to two of them and both of them were the same way. So as he had that conversation, I thought to myself, as a writer, It'll be interesting to take on this story. I was like, this is something that's interesting. And it kind of got my spirit back as far as trying to write again. So I thought maybe it would be a good story. But when I started trying to pitch the story to outlets I knew, like some of the rap outlets, they were hesitant to pick it up. They were like, it's not really a story to them at the time. Now, again, this might be the start of 2016. So I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll have to jumpstart this conversation. 
So I put together a couple of dollars and I started doing my documentary called The Color Green Cash Color Cannabis. And for the whole year, 2016, um, me and my cameraman, Danny, we went from New York to L.A. We did a lot of interviews in Atlanta. And we just kind of we we set up to kind of speak to people who are in the industry currently, people of color, and speak about some of the issues they're seeing. And we heard everything from pop culture issues to um, why we're not seeing more rappers who are in the industry speak about their actual business dealings versus speaking about consumption. Uh, we spoke about the politics of the war on drugs and how that's stopping people from wanting to enter in, in, into the industry. It was just a good conversation. It's one that I felt like what is 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 a conversation that one is still going, you know. So um, after we were, we, well, we're still in the process of filming the documentary. You know, with that it does cost money, so we actually had to take a break. And I was trying to raise some money in the middle of it to help finish up the project. And when we started in that pro, in that process, is where Cash Color Cannabis, the podcast, came about. Um, I wanted to keep the conversation going while I was trying to raise the money up to finish the documentary. I didn't want to lose that momentum. So we we launched a weekly podcast we did down here in the city where we kind of combine everything I was talking about in the in the in the documentary, the pop culture, past issues and politics. So I'd bring in politicians, I bring in hip hop artists, I bring in people who don't even consume cannabis just to kind of have a conversation about how they feel about cannabis and how it how it interacts in their life or how they even how they even feel about it. So I felt like that that in that conversation has helped grow it has helped grow um has helped grow has grown so much since we kicked that off at the end of 2016. So it's just been a, a whirlwind of 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 life for me since about 2015, where it helped me get back and get my love of journalism back, and it also put me into an industry where I felt like um, I have a voice that's kind of needed. You know, I'm I'm not necessarily somebody who's knee deep 24 seven in cannabis, but I'm somebody who sees it from a different perspective, and I feel like. Again, my voice and the voice that we're in the conversation that we're bringing is 100% needed when it comes to bringing more people of color involved in the Absolutely, industry. Absolutely, man. I think what, what you're doing is kind of rare too, right? So you're, a lot of journalists, when they go into a story, they're not usually the person that the story is like focusing on. Not that your documentary centered around you, but like you are the demographic that you're talking about. And you're like, instead of yes. writing about it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in there, talk to everyone about people like me, like the lack of people like me. Yes. Yeah which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. You know, you kind of put it correct. Like I tried not to be the subject of any of my stories, but yeah, in this case I am the demographic. And I was like, you know, if I'm the demographic and I feel like there's a lot of things I like, that's not necessarily even cannabis, you know, like I like basketball. I like sports. I like me. I like hip hop. I like a lot of different things, but you know, when you think about it, they're not necessarily cannabis things, but almost everybody involved in those things has consumed or uses it in one way, shape or another, you know? So it's mm -hmm. like, why not involve these people in the camera conversation as much as we want to involve doctors and, and activists? Like we got to involve, we have to cast a wider net if you really want to bring in more people. Right. So what, what are your takeaways from all that? Like you travel the country talking to all these people who have much different perspectives than probably anyone listening to this would have. Like what, what do they say? Like what are the big points of why, why it's a, there aren't as many African-Americans in it? I feel like the biggest point I hear is, um, again, we go back to the politics of the drug war, you know, how mm -hmm. the drug war, um, how the drug war kicked off and how it was necessary, how it was actually just targeting people of color and Latinos when it came to smaller drug crimes and, and led to this whole prison incarceration system we have where we have people just going in and out almost like a turnstile at this point. So when mm -hmm. you when you couple that and you see people who have been been victims of this drug war for decades they're kind of hesitant to take to take play to take part in something that's now called a legal drug trade because that's, that's that's how a lot of people are looking at it it's not necessarily a legal cannabis industry you're looking at it like a legal drug trade and i've had like say for instance one of the people i spoke to 
for the documentary. His name is Branson. Branson is somebody I didn't even know existed, really. I always thought he was a, a, a name of weed because I was always hearing him in rap songs. Redman would mention him. <laughs> yep. Biggie Smalls would mention him. Jadakiss would mention him. Well, come to find out he's a real person. And I knew somebody who actually knew him. So he put me in contact with him when we had a good conversation. And I know, knowing this about Branson, Branson was as, as successful as he was in the 90s. You would be even more successful right now in this new in this new industry. And you are one of the people who are totally hesitant to get involved with it at all. And your biggest reason is, again, what you went through in the 90s and had to go through all that from the from ducking police to knowing how criminalized the plant was. You looking at it now is almost like, nah, I don't even want to think about doing it. You know, it's, 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 it's you don't so much stuff. No. And it's like now you got to go through it in a, on a legal side. And it's almost even more red tape. You know, it's just like one of the things you're backing up from from that perspective. But I feel like even now. That's one of the things we're going to have to shed eventually, because as this industry grows, you're going to see year after year after year. It's going to ha- you're going to have to drop that that mentality that we're still criminalized or we're still going to be um, handcuffed by this. That's, that, that's, that's not necessarily true. Like The only thing that's going to handcuff you at this point is the fact that you still think about the, the, the what happened in the 70s, 80s and 90s. The town that I grew up in, right, is primarily like white, right? We have we had the Metco program where. <laughs> We'd bring in like inner city kids to our Metco. school. You know, you know Metco, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But like I look at that and I look at kids that come out of my high school now and they're they're literally saying like, I want to get into the cannabis industry. Where then I look yeah. at the team that I coach and those kids are from like Roxbury and Dorchester and places where you grew up. And I think like if they said that to their teachers or if like someone in the community heard that, they'd be like, oh, he's going down the wrong path. Like he's got to not exactly. Do that. Which is completely like it's the same type of kid saying it's the same thing, but one one's white, one's black, and it's just viewed totally differently. Yeah, and generational issues play a part in that as well. Like I speak, I spoke again in the documentary how from my mother to me to my nephew right now who's eighteen, he's a sophomore in college. Those are three different generations of how they view a plan. You know, mm-hmm. my parent, my mom, and my my dad anti. Anything that's not this, that was listed as a drug is, is you're against. You know, you saw the repercussions of the drug war. You saw repercussions of people being addicted to drugs. They just anti that altogether. Me, I grew up in a different industry, in a different era. Like, I literally grew up with Snoop Dogg talk, and Dre talking about chronic all day. I never thought it was a big deal at all. To my nephew right now, who totally doesn't think it's a big deal, like, he probably would be interested in getting involved in it if it was presented to him. Those are three different generations right there that have three different views. And that's something that you see, and again, with African-Americans and Latinos across the country, three different generations in the same household who have a different view of the same thing. And that's another right. thing that we're going to have to try to come to, we're going to have to come to a happy mid- middle about, that you're not always, not everybody's going to be all on board, but you're going to have to understand that if this is already going on, this is already in your community now on a legal side, at least know about what's happening in case you don't even say if you don't like it. Know what's going on so you can know who to vote for to get it away, to get it away from your neighborhood. You know, more than anything, don't mm-hmm. take a turn a blind eye to it. And I feel like that's another thing that stops us. Like the generational thing almost builds, almost forces us to say, is almost forcing us to say, oh, well, we just don't want to look at it at this point because it's been wrong for so long. Well, it's not no more necessarily and not saying you have to jump out and get involved, but you should at least know what's happening. Kind of like shed the judgment of other people. Like even for myself, when I first was like, fuck, what should, should I go? Should I do this? Should I associate this with my name? Cause like yeah. obviously I'm, I'm going to be putting stuff out on the internet. Eventually you just have to like agree with yourself to not give a fuck. Right. You're like, yes. I don't care. I believe in this. There's enough like positivity and there's a culture around it where you just have to have an open mind and accept who I am and accept my feelings on it. Um, but again, I think that's a lot easier for me to do than 
like I said, someone from like Mattapan or someone from like the Bronx, right? Yeah, let me tell you, um, my mom was terrified when I started doing this documentary, and even worse when I started doing the podcast because it was weekly. She was almost like, "So what's going to happen?" You know what I mean? It, it wasn't until she, yeah. I sent her an article. Um, I did a story with Creative Loafing down here, and I sent her an article about that, and I was my whole picture was in there, and I let her read it, and I remember her first reaction was, "Okay, she wasn't as nervous anymore." But then she had questions. She was like, you know, I grew up in the jazz era. So is this why Ray Charles kept getting arrested and all these jazz singers kept getting arrested? That, yeah. It helped build a dialogue. But yeah, initially she was ter- she was terrified about having my name and my face attached to anything with that na- with that other name on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I feel that. So wait, is Atlanta? Are you guys recreational? I, I can't remember. No, no, we have we have. We have access to medical, and I'll say that much because we know they don't have any place you could actually physically go. Mm-hmm. Um, but now again, with, the, with with CBD and with with, with hemp becoming legal, it's gonna we're gonna see a lot more openness when it comes to where you can go. Because we have a I have a good friend of mine, Joe, um, Joe Salone with Georgia Hemp Company. Yep. They have a uh, they just opened up a physical branch in Sandy Springs not too long ago. So we're gonna see more of that happen right now. But um, right now it's just medical for the for the most part. We are nowhere close to recreational. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what I figured. The South, is it just takes a lot longer for stuff to happen down there. Oh, yeah. And that was the second issue, too. You know, we're doing it in Atlanta. So, you know, most people, are when I pitched the Cash Color Cannabis podcast to people initially, it was this, it was a confusion across the board, whether I was asking a black person, white person, whoever to come on. It was just confusion <laughs> because it's like, so what are we going to do? Are we going to smoke weed? I'm like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't even smoke on camera. I just want to talk about the cannabis. Can we do that? What do you mean, can we do that? It's like, I got First Amendment rights. I could talk about anything I want to talk about. Like, what is wrong with talking about this conversation? So it, it took a little bit of, com- of, of, of um, convincing to get people to come on air and live to talk about it. But now it's not a big deal. But yeah, initially it was an issue for that because we're in Atlanta, we're in Georgia, and it's not necessarily legal. And well, now, you know, but now we have plenty of shows, actually plenty of shows similar to mine spread, popping up across across Atlanta like daily now. So I'm, I'm, I feel like we're, we're helping. We're really helping helping build a conversation that's going to hopefully bring us recreational or bring us at least a, a, a statewide decrim- decriminalization. Yeah, absolutely. And now like people like other African-Americans who didn't have someone like you to look up to and be like, hey, this guy's talking about it. This guy's out like in the media, he has his YouTube show, he has his documentary, he's talking about it, he's fine. That might be like the last like straw that broke the camel's back for them to take that step and be like, all right, I'm in. Like, and I hope so. And I hope yeah. so. I really hope so. I hope I could be that that person for them that, you know, I, I, I spin off my show, come up with it, come on. If you come to my show and you have an idea and have that, like I, I encourage that. You know, like, like, let's keep going and keep showing more regular images of people who look like us having regular conversations as a plant without us having to have to constantly smoke or constantly be high in the mix of the process. Like, I don't, let's just have a conversation. What, what I'm looking at, and I think a big reason what you talk about is so true is because, like, the government is eventually going to get into the shit, right? Like, they see the opportunity and they see what Colorado's done and they have, like, literally a billion dollars in tax money coming in throughout, like, the four years that they legalized the recreational. I feel like what they're doing is they're just keeping all their cards so close to their chest. And then eventually when they have all their ducks in a row, they're going to be like, okay, it's all legal. And then the people like the investment funds and like the people, the big business people are going to be able to step right in with no problem. Um, So I think it's super important, at least from my perspective, that there is like a grassroots movement of people who build this culture of like, kind of like skateboarding is right. Or kind of like hip hop is where, you can kind of tell who's really in it and who's just in it for the wrong reasons. Um, and I think that that culture is building right now. And you're seeing like, that's why there's people in California and there's like these close knit communities who are like, yeah, like big business is going to be in it eventually, but we're going to have such a head start on them that they're not going to know. 
what to do. Yeah, which is kind of cool, and I dig that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That is cool. And I, I agree with the, even the, the connection of skateboard and hip hop. Mm-hmm. Same, same, same deal. You talking about something that was a counterculture at one point that became part of the culture, but at the same time, there's people who are so grassroots and so in the beginning of it that it wasn't. You're not able to fully commercialize the situation. You're not full, able to just fully have big business come in and push everybody out. Yeah. What's cool about skateboarding, like that's that's kind of like what I grew up on, right? Is that even though like these big brands would come in and offer all this money like for to sponsor someone skaters will still go with like their local skate shop or they'll still go with like the brands that they looked up to growing up even if it's not like the best deal financially right because they they have loyalty and they have this like this feel of community where like you just came in because now this is hot you know and i think that cannabis is kind of going to be the same way yeah yo so talk about your trip across the country because i think that's a pretty cool uh a cool little piece that you have that not a lot of people get to experience, whether it's a documentary or not. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. We, yeah, we've had a chance to to go to a, a like I said, L.A. We went to um, New Orleans. We've been to New York. We've been to, of course, we've done a lot of work in Atlanta. But it was just great taking that taking those taking that trip and being able to see people in other cities how they're actually operating. Like it was amazing to be in L.A. and actually go into a mm-hmm. dispensary, you know. And and this is right before well. I want to say, did they pass um, Prop 64 just yet? Because, I mean, they still had spots, but I think they were still, they were in the mix of that. But to be able to walk into a dispensary and be able to see somebody cop weed, like we had the chance to go to a um, Keep Them Lit in Englewood with um, Slink Johnson, who plays Black Jesus on Adult mm-hmm. Swim. He took us to his favorite dispensary. That was the coolest moment in my whole entire life at that point. Because it's like, you know, this is something I'm normally doing. I'm in a neighborhood like Englewood, reminded me so much of Mattapan. And I'm walking in, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a strip mall where there's a corner store, a bakery and a dispensary. I said, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, right. it was able to walk in here and speak to the, speak to the bud tenders and speak to the owners of the, of, of, of the, the, the venue. That was great. Um, to go to New York and see a city that was ravaged by the drug war and to be able to be in Harlem and speak with Branson, who again, to me, somebody, I've been heard his name so much that I just, I just always figured it was weed. I didn't know it was even a person. He was like Kaiser Soze to me and be able to speak to him about the drug war and about where he sees this cannabis industry going. It's just dope. And to have somebody like Freeway Ricky Ross come to Atlanta to speak with us and speak to him about, you know, you're de- you're connected with you're connected with George Bush and Oliver Stone and and Oliver North. You know, like you you are part of the Iran-Contra affair because you were the person who was quote unquote the cocaine kingpin at the time. You faced you dealt with the entire drug war, came out and now you're somebody who's not only an activist for cannabis, but just somebody who's who's so who's so just open about speaking about the issues that happened in the 80s and 90s when it came to overcriminalization and how drugs got into the community and how that affected how we look at a lot of things. It's, it was just a very eye-opening experience being able to travel and speak to different people and see different and see how different people looked at cannabis, looked at the drug war, and look at why we don't get involved in the industry. It was just great, you know, and I and I feel like. There's even more places I want to go. Like I want to go to London. I want to go to Toronto. I want to go to Tokyo. I want to go see how people are dealing with li- this plant right here and the different ways it's legal and not legal where you're at. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Canada, like, even though it's a different country, is kind of setting the pace for the United States because like, yes. they, they had no problem just legalizing it for their entire country. They're like, yeah, it's yeah. fine. We're, 
We give you healthcare. We'll give you pot. We'll give you whatever you want. Just be happy, you know. Um, but there's, they're in the same situation we are in America, though. Is they're legal? They're legalized it statewide, and it's been something popular. That's been I mean, statewide, countrywide, but it's been something popular in the country for a while. But if you look at it, they have the same number of, of people of color involved that we have. You know, you're still talking about less than one percent, which is which is something that's staring them in the face right now. Like, how are you going to deal with that? You have to have an equity, a social equity program. You have to deal with the fact that people who are, were criminalized for this for this plan you can't just keep them sitting behind bars at this point you know like like you have to figure out mm-hmm. something and i feel like it, these are issues that are going to have to be tackled eventually like you can't just have to deal with this you can't just keep passing laws and saying now this is okay without dealing with who dealt with it and when it wasn't okay so yep. let's talk about a little bit of like how you got into what you were doing and kind of advice for people who were thinking about it right because i you are sure. a trailblazer regardless of if you think about yourself like that or not. And I know you said like you just you got a job or you wrote an article for the local newspaper, right? And then you just were like, this is what's for me. Um, yes. What would you say to someone who's like thinking about it or doesn't know what to do, whether they're of color or not? Oh, well, I would say this. Um, figure out what your lane is, especially if you want to get into the cannabis area. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things you can do that has that has nothing to do with you touching the plant, you know, like where, where you don't have to be a butt tender. You don't have to be a dispensary owner. You don't have to be a chef. You can do there's plenty of things you can do if this is what you want to do. You can have a media outlet like me. You could, um, you know, I often tell people, why don't they look into the security business? I mean, as long as we're, we're still dealing with the situation where cannabis is legal, is illegal on a federal level and you can't bank. Then you need protection. You need gonna need protection when it comes to how much money is being generated and how you do have to store it and travel with it. So why not think about the security level of things? Think about cybersecurity. You know, plenty of people in the tech world should be thinking about how they can in, involve themselves in the in, in, in the cannabis side. So I just feel like they should need to open your mind a little bit and figure out one what your lane is, or two how can you use your skill set currently to get involved in this new industry. Got you. And then. So same type of question, but it's advice to like the the twelve year old you. What would you say if you could look back and just have a conversation for yeah. two minutes with yourself? Twelve year old me, I would say twelve year old me. Um, in about six years, you're gonna try weed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> tell you now: do not buy weed from people who pull their weed out of socks or out of their underwear. That Amen. Bother bro. you later in life because you're gonna realize that it was it was so dangerous for you to do. Avoid that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid that guy for, the, for as much as you can, man, because that's not a good way to store your to store your bud. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> Shit. Well, this it's plug time, okay. right? So, where can people find you? What should they check out? What do they got? Man, know? find us. Um, well, for one, you can start at our website, CashColorCannabis.com. We have stories we run every day, um, but also there's links to how you can watch or how you can listen to the show. So you can watch us every every Tuesday at 9 p.m. on LiveHipHopDaily.tv. That's the link you can go to. We'll show we'll show you you'll be able to watch us live every week every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Um, if you can't watch us at 9 p.m. or you listen to the podcast. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you stream podcasts at. Just search Cash Color Campus Podcast. 
all 140 plus episodes of pull up so you can get a chance to listen to them. You could also find us on YouTube. Just search Cash Color Campus Podcast. You could watch past episodes if you don't have a chance to watch it at nine o'clock. And I'm just be on the lookout. We're going to we're going to going back into production with the color green um, this spring going into the summer. So we'll be back across the country talking to various people again and getting some new clips and some new points of views as the industry has actually grown since 2016. So I can't wait for that. And fingers crossed, I've been wanting to actually open up a a magazine version of Cash Color Cannabis. And hopefully we can have that done. We should have a a pro that we should have an actual a first issue ready by March. So when we go to South by Southwest this year, we actually should be debuting that. So fingers crossed on that though. But we're definitely getting back to color green and you could definitely check out Cash Color Canvas podcast. Just search us on any platform from YouTube to Spotify, wherever, and it'll pop up.